we're cultivating spooky molds with the help of microbes and mites. We're in a cave. We're in a we're dark in a cave. cave. I can just see the bats coming up out of the cave. Yeah. Wonder what the FDA would say about that. It's sorcery. Hey, everybody, I just want you to transport yourself to one of those stellar fall days where the sky is blue as blue can be and the sun is warm on your face, but there's a little bit undercurrent of cool promising for that, you know, late fall weather to come soon. The cows look happy. The cows are super happy. And you might hear some a little bit of cow noises, too, in the background with some cars going by. They're so, our audience today. Yeah. Please forgive us we're, for that. We're recording in front of a live audience <laughs> of Sue's milking cows. We're not used to that. <laughs> it's really fun. So today, this is an interview we've had in the books for quite a few months. We've been holding out because we want to share something really special with you. Remember when we interviewed Vito Forte? We we interviewed Vito in the cafeteria of Yoder's <laughs> buffet Country market. Hall. Yeah. Which is a, it's just a Lancaster County classic. Handballs. You cannot miss the buffet of ham balls and potato filling. Handballs, potato filling, pepper cabbage. Yeah, the Pennsylvania Dutch classics. What else? Oh, I always get the fried chicken wings. (laughs) We had to interview Vito and we snuck into a back banquet room and um, just drilled away with some questions that we were itching to ask him. Yeah, and we were out there. Let's tell everybody why we were there. We were there for the Cheesemakers Resource Conference, which happens every February. It's put on by... Agri Services, Dairy Heritage. I don't know if you've ever bought any cheese making equipment from them, but they're a really great uh, family operation. And they put on a phenomenal conference right here in Pennsylvania in February. I haven't missed it in maybe four years. It's concentrated. ACS has so much to do with networking and branching out and kind of just broadening your scope of understanding about the craft and the industry. Whereas the Cheesemakers Resource Conference is regional so that makes it sort of a tighter networking group but also it's a pretty lean conference you You just get down to business you just get down to business you're just going to lecture after lecture trying to take in as much knowledge as you can and you're stopping only for handballs and potato filling at lunch that is the only break you get unsweetened iced tea (laughs) and chocolate milk So if you if you guys are cheesemakers in the in the greater region and you're within driving distance, it is worth checking out. It's a really good one. It and it's reasonably priced. It is. And we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um on to Vito. And so today I made two batches of blue cheese. And while I was in there stirring the cauldron on Halloween, I was just kind of reminiscing back to our interview with him. And um I was just thinking about all the people we know, Stephanie, who have come to cheesemaking through through food or through the restaurant world or through hospitality. And Vito is one of those people who is really special. He had a bar in North Jersey, not far 
I guess in the shadows of the Meadowlands, which is, you know, the ba- that big football stadium. And uh, he kind of was like starting something really interesting there with the craft brew scene. And while he was a small business owner, he started to think about fermentation, probably from that brewing viewpoint. But, you know, he was making kimchi and fermenting. I don't know, carrots, all kinds of stuff. His own sauerkraut, which led into cheese, which led into him taking a cheese-making class with Peter Dixon. And then I saw him on Instagram. And I was like, who is this dude? You know, I was really curious about who this guy was. Where did he pop up from? And we became friends on social media. But, you know, getting back to that whole coming to cheese through food, I think is really fascinating. And so... I want you to be thinking about that as we're interviewing Vito. Like, who do you know? How did you come to cheese? Do you find that there are a lot? Of, there is a lot of alignment between making food in, let's say, a restaurant kitchen versus making cheese in a creamery. Well, definitely from that creative viewpoint, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, working with your hands, working with your body, with really great ingredients. I think cheese making is better. I'm biased. <laughs> Just say, I could say see, what you mean, I Stephanie. I could see why these chefs and cooks would be lured into the creamery uh, lifestyle because it's there's a lot to do. I mean, it's it's exciting, it's thrilling, um, and it's so creative. Well, and I, which there's think, no time pressure. The oh, well, there's time constraints, but it's not like a kitchen. It's not like running a kitchen. I know when I do a delivery and it's like service is on. I, I'm just so embarrassed that I'm walking in there with any cheese and I'm like trying to like sneak in quietly yeah. and not disturb the vibe of the kitchen because it's just constant. There's stuff going down. It's so intense. It is intense. There is so much sweat dripping from everybody's faces. Right. I feel bad taking two and a half seconds to hand something off because yeah. there's no time to spare. It's like, couldn't I have gotten here at like 9.50 this morning <laughs> instead of... 6.15. But you know, the cheesemaker's life. Yeah. I'm They've thinking about you. some of our other friends who came to cheese through food or hospitality. And Sam Kennedy from the Farm of Doe Run pops right into my mind. Yeah. You know, he's a CIA grad, total chefy, And he thinks about cheese from that chef viewpoint. Yeah. You know, there's a difference there. You know, where I worked, where I was an apprentice at Avalanche Cheese in Colorado, the owner, Wendy Mitchell, said she, she only hired people who had worked in kitchens. I was like one of the exceptions, but she said those are the best uh, creamery employees. What You've about got the, the nice er- skills. What about the, the early timing. hours, though? Oh, well, that's true. You have to change your whole nocturnal schedule to make <laughs> <Yes>. it work. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But you're right. Oh, and then what about coming from the cheesemonger world? Well, we, we know quite a few mongers turned cheesemakers look at the crew at cherry grove oh my goodness paul lawler sean sean fitzgerald yeah i mean you know they've got that whole flavor profile down the sensory issues yeah and they're total creative spirits yeah they are Mm. it's a pretty inclusive world we live in isn't it so those of you who are listening who have come from mongering or working in kitchens Will you just let us know what uh, what you feel about those differences? We're, we're curious to explore this subject. Yeah. How is it similar? How is it different? What was the growing edge for you to transition from that world into cheese? I don't know. I think we want to hear about that. We both uh, drink and party just as hard. 
either group. <laughs> yeah. We're aligned in that way. When you work hard, you got to play hard. That's that's damn right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you know, that kind of makes me think a lot about Vito because he he works really hard. He's working for um, Meadow Creek Dairy down in Galax, Virginia. And you know, those folks are total seasonal. They make cheese from May until November or December, mm. and every day that they're able to make cheese, they're just cranking out those gorgeous cheeses. So, um, you know, it's an intense, it's an intense life yeah. down there. It's so, it's so concentrated. We, I think you and I kind of sprawl out more in our operations. We stretch out over the course of a year. We do. Yeah. We can get a, we can catch our breath. We can. Winter's a little bit more restful, but yeah, that, that does seem really intense. Does he have a support team down there, Vito? Does he have help? I think it's a pretty cohesive group there and Helen Feet, the owner I don't know her but I know of her I mean who doesn't know of her she's pretty amazing that cheese Grayson has won so many ACS awards it's like it's a delightful cheese Um, but you know I think that there's a real serious crew that works in that that cheese room and Vito told me he's like if you're on the farm end of it you stay exclusively on the farm if you're involved with the cheese making you're 100% of what you do is making cheese. I mean, I happened to see on Instagram the other day, the motor broke on their um, agitator for their vat. I don't know if you saw that. I did. But all three of them, I thought, this is one of our biggest nightmares, isn't it? Yeah. How big is that vat? Oh, my gosh. I wonder. I don't know. Is it like a 400-gallon vat? It's probably pretty pretty labor-intensive to cut that by hand. Yeah, it might be even, (laughs) even larger. I wish we would have asked him. Oh, well... We'll have yeah. to text. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. And so, listen, I want you to know how I met Vito. Tell I, me. I kind of alluded to it, the fact that I saw that he took a class with Peter Dixon, who you know, Parashel Creamery, is a very good friend of the Collective Creamery, aren't they? He pretty much gets referenced in every podcast. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So Vito had taken a class up there, and I happened to see that he was there, and I thought, I'm going to start following this dude. And if you know Vito, you just want to reference Hey, dude. (laughs) So this is a shout out to him. Um, Yeah. So I happened to be, so he was making cheese there Mm -hmm. after taking that class. He like talked his way into becoming, um, you know, an intern at Parish Hill. He's really good. He's such a good person. Who wouldn't want him on their team? Yeah. So I went up one weekend um, just to visit my friends and took some cheese and I, we sat down with some beers and some cheese and I was like, I've been wanting, dying to meet you. And he was like, you know, I've had your cheese. And I was like, where did you have my cheese? You live North Jersey. Here we are in Vermont. Well, I forget. He's a beer guy. So he had come down to Tired Hands, which both of, of our cheeses are on the cheese board there from Valley Milk House and Birch Run. And he was familiar with the cheese from there. So that night we spent, I don't know, we must have stayed up to like 2 o'clock in the morning talking cheese. That's how you know your kindred spirits, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I hope you guys listen in and get to know Vito the way we know him. He's someone to watch. I mean, you know, who knows where he'll go next or what he'll do next, but I just see him as a total rock star in the cheese industry right now and a, and a rising star. Like I think he's going to keep doing great things as yeah. he already has. There's something interesting about the folks who are behind the scenes, mm. you know, training, working hard, studying, learning, 
you might not know their name as the lead cheesemaker or the owner of an operation, but, but you know, people like Vito are really the backbone of this industry. It's something you and I were talking about. We want to know more from people who provide those roles yeah. here in the world of cheese. Like, what is it like for you? What is your creative outlet right. when you're working on another operation? Right. Maybe you're not the business owner, but you're one of the biggest contributors to this whole production. Right. Yeah. What's next? That's a cool perspective. I it is. That's so, sometimes that's a more interesting perspective because as a business owner, we get so bogged down, you know, in the day-to-day operations. And right. It's, it would be kind of cool to approach approach cheesemaking as a true student the way Vito has. You know, he's so curious. He has such a curious mind. He's just so thirsty for knowledge. Right. Oh, we were talking about playing hard. You'll hear a little bit about that. <laughs> I forgot. That's that's where I was going. His playing hard. And when he plays hard, it, it has to do with travel oh, to me. Yes. He yeah. just has a curious spirit. And he wants to learn from other cultures and experience their food and get to know the people. And gosh, there's so many people in this industry that we want to learn more from. So today's Vito's. Turn. All right. Here it goes. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Stephanie, I'm so excited that we're sitting here um, with my good friend, Vito Forte. Uh, We first became friends on social media through Instagram. Vito's handle is uh, Vito Fermente. So if you know that handle, um, we're sitting with him right now here in New Holland, Pennsylvania, in the heart of Lancaster County, at one of the best cheese conferences in the country, the Cheesemakers Resource Conference. Welcome, Vito. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking time away from the awesome sessions to join us for this interview. We didn't give you much of a choice, but we're still happy you're <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, right now, uh, Vito seems he, he's such a hard worker, and he's working um, with Meadow Creek Dairy down in Gallic, is it Galax? Uh, Galax. Galax, Virginia, down in the mountains down there, making those beautiful cheeses from that grass-fed Jersey herd and mixed herd um, that so many people in the in the country are aware of. They've won so many awards with with their cheeses. You know, that's cool being there. Yeah. So Vito came from a start of home cheese making. What made you get started in home cheese making, Vito? Um, I I'll be honest, I don't know, cause I guess I since I was like a little kid, I've always like cooked at home, and uh, you know I I don't know, I enjoyed cooking, and then when I got into college, um, I started like curing meat, uh, making like sockets and sacks and like wine soaked prosciuttos, and then I started years later. I don't know how much longer later. It's just like one long day. But and then like (laughs) started uh, like making sauerkraut and kimchi and then but I always was like really interested in cheese. I don't know like why or what, but I always like liked it. I liked eating it and like it was just like so uh, like I don't I don't know if like artisan's the right word, but it's like an alchemy-ish sort of thing where it's just like you know you gotta you just take these things and you put it together. So then you know. After a few years, I'm like, oh, I still haven't made it. And then I just started doing it, like, one day. And 
and then it just started kind of growing I guess it and took then, over your life it like no it literally took over my yeah. life were you did, so another remarkable thing about Vito is that when he was 25 years old this is a North Jersey boy by the way um, and when he was 25 years old he opened his very own bar like a neighborhood bar um, the copper copper mine pub copper yeah. mine pub and I run into people all the time in the beer world who know Vito because his enthusiasm for beer and his commitment to small producers was really is held in high regard in that brewing community. So was this a did this come out of like your brewing, you know, in the from the beer, the fermentation from the beer, or was it long before that? I guess, you know, it was like I, I came from like a family of like retailers that always worked like retail beverage, like retail, like 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 a wine shop, not wine, like bodegas pretty much. My my grandfather owned a bodega in Jersey City and then my dad inherited the bodega and he ran it for like twenty years and then you know, they just kind of closed. They left Jersey City, and then, and then my dad was just like a salesman for years, and but like always in the liquor industry. And then in high school, I started working for like a beer wine store, beer wine liquor store, like a you know a New Jersey liquor store. And then, you know, I was into beer, and I don't know what what I was doing. You know, I just I liked it, and I liked the handmadeness of it, and all that kind of crap. And then uh, I opened the bar. I don't know. It was. You know, I always liked the idea of, like, community space, like, uh, and, like, smaller craft beers and stuff. Like, I remember sneaking into bars when I was, like, 16 and going to, like, craft craft beer bars and being like, whoa, this is crazy. And, like, I like seeing people, like, talking and, like, hanging out and drinking a beer and, you know, stuff like that, I guess. And then I opened the bar and, yeah, at that time there really wasn't much craft beer in, I guess, 2008. And then, uh, yeah. That's really great. Um, so I just want to fast forward a little bit. So Vito is, you know, you can just picture this young guy having this um, bar in North Jersey, supporting the local craft craft brewers, making his own cheese, making kimchi, fermenting all kinds of vegetables. Um, and then I, I'm following him on social media and I realize, heck, he's up there at Parish Hill Creamery with Peter Dixon taking some cheese making classes. I feel like, I don't know if I started like, like liking every post, <laughs> pretty much liking every post, and like we became best buds. Um, but I was really taken with your commitment to this because the whole time Vito is running this bar, um, he then became um, an intern or an apprentice at Parish Hill Creamery, and so you would run the bar like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, drive to Vermont, work there you know get make cheese for like four days get in your car drive back to new north jersey yeah. i mean it was an amazing commitment yeah i don't know if i could do that again that was it was like seven months of seven days a week for yeah for that i guess that was 2014 right yeah serious would, cheese making and running a serious business at the same time yeah and yeah and it was all you know uh yeah i would do thursday night I don't know. I would come back Wednesday night from Vermont, and then I'd like, well, like just be there Wednesday night, work all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. Saturday after work, I'd like get all the kegs lined up and like tap list, website, like all this crap. I'd go to sleep for three hours and then drive to Vermont Sunday morning, get up there to like make cheese or whatever we would do Sundays, and then be there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and then drive back Wednesday night, and then like yeah, it was it was pretty. I don't know. That was. It was intense. I'm happy I did it, but I don't want to do that again. That was that was crazy. 
lot of times the um, the fantasy of cheese making doesn't doesn't line up to the reality of it. Um, I felt the opposite. I I felt like the reality of cheese making was even more amazing than I imagined. Um, what what was your experience taking those classes? How, how did it open up your world? Well, you know. To be honest, I think before that, I started making cheese in, like, 2009 at home, like, seriously. Like, before that, I did it, like, a few times. But, like, I I had... So, by 2009, I, like, decided I was going to make cheese. I found a good pl- a good farm to get a milk upstate New York in, like, the, the South Hudson Valley. And then I uh, I did this every week for five years five years of home cheese making on every monday i think i did like 200 plus batches in like five years wow yeah i went like really overboard i'd buy eight gallons and then i would trade i would give the farmers cheese every week and then they would like sell me their milk for like you know what it would be like commodity pricing so no or like it would be like like two or three bucks a gallon they were really cool people like really supportive of what i was doing even though like i wasn't i was just experimenting with their milk they were awesome and then i uh so i did this like for five years and like i would find different websites and then i would like theorize these things like a chemistry set and then i found like certain websites that i just like connected to really well and related to really well and then uh i still didn't know that this like whole world existed of like cheese like like the supportive people everybody's like most people are like super cool and like all that kind of stuff so then when i met peter i took uh what was the first class i took like his basic cheese making one and two that weekend you hear about him i was by start sleuthing around on the i used his website because he has recipes on his website so he was like one of the main sources so i'd like it was like him and then um ricky carroll's website he she it's her and then that Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace, he has really cool stuff yeah. on there. And then actually like the Volto blog, he would post stuff. And then I would, so it was like those three kind of uh, things back in the day. And then still, I just, I didn't really know. And I was, at that point, I'd been to like a bunch of farms. I would like still kind of travel around and buy cheese. But I just thought it was like, you know, I was a city person. Like, I didn't know, like there's no farmer's markets in Jersey, in, you know, like industrial New Jersey and stuff. And. So I didn't know, like, you could work in agriculture, work in cheese and stuff like that. And yeah, and that's come was from con- the city, right? Yeah, and, like, yeah. be, like, late to the game, you know, like, late in life to the game in a way. Or the game, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. But, like, you know, I just didn't know you could do this for a job. Like, I, I always thought you could, but, like, how do you do it? And, like, I would say these things to my parents, and they'd be like, yo, you got to, like, just grow up. Like, you have these... You know, and there are city people too, you know, like multi-general generation city people. And like, we didn't really have a connection to, you know, agriculture at all. So there was just kind of, so then taking these classes, I realized like, whoa, like, and then I met, like, I made friends from that, like first, first and second class that people I'm still really good friends with, which is awesome. And then Peter and Rachel too, who I'm like really good friends with too. So yeah, all, all of whom are here today, you know, roaming around this 150 person conference of all cheese makers. And it's just it's a dream. It's been awesome. Um, that's one of the takeaways that I got from the book um, written recently by the Percivals, Reinventing the Wheel, was thinking about the way that cheese connects the urban to the rural. Um, and I, I think it's a really important point that we don't think that much about, but cheese is this refined, kind of sexy, glamorous product that shows up in fancy cheese shops in a city but it can so easily be traced back and connected to the farmer and the land. And it's an important connection. And I think 
mongers are the people there to tell that story, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. And, you know, with your Jersey roots, like I'm, I'm sure it was hard for you to imagine ending up where you are now, which is that Meadow Creek Dairy. In yeah. And Galax. Virginia. Is that the home of the Galax Fiddle Festival? Yeah. Yeah. The, the Fiddler's old school Fiddler's yeah. Fest. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the town, the week long. It's actually really cool. It's like this uh, week long music festival. I mean, it's not like a festival. It's just like a week long Music of Fiddle Fest, yeah. It's not like going to Bonnaroo or anything. But it's it's what's nice about it is it's this park in the middle of town and you're in the middle of Galax. And then it's just basically like RVs and pop ups, so it's like this like post apocalyptic <laughs> like end of the world uh like camp. You know, people are there for like a week out there and like every day is a different music instrument. So like one day's claw hammer, the next day's fiddle, the next day's old time fiddle, and then then by, you know, that stuff, unless you're, like, an aficionado, it's kind of tough because it's usually just somebody strumming and then, like, a fiddle on top. But then when you get towards the end of the week, it's when it gets good. Because I like the band, like, band more, like, bluegrass band and old-time band because there's, like, bass and more depth. Uh, not depth, but, like, I, I like bass and stuff, so it kind of ties it better together and stuff. So, but it's cool. So how did you uh, how did you get connected to Meadow Creek and what was uh, your role shaping up to be there? Well, how I got working there was it was like I had some ongoing problems with my landlord and you know and I I was in my bar it was like you know I was like oh cool I could like make cheese now I'm like oh I could I could kind of do something you know I could I like this a lot I like I want to do this for a job and. So I was trying to like sell the bar, and then I had problems with my landlord, and it went on for like a year, two years, and then basically I was left with no options but to like close the bar. So I did, and then uh, I drove around cross country for like a couple months, and then I mongered in the city, and then I didn't really, I was like, I didn't do all this to like still live here in the city. So I applied to a couple places, and Meadow Creek was nice enough to hire me, and, you know, I just wanted to really work for, like, really good people, and they were, like, top of my list, so. Can you paint the picture of the farm? Who owns it? And- so Rick and Helen Feet are both the owners. Okay. Um, they started, they're really cool because they're, like, they're pretty much back to the landers. They started in their, like, early 20s, and they both kind of lived, like, s- suburban and semi-suburban lives, and then they're like, oh, we want a farm. So they... Um, they went into trying all sorts of things, growing veggies, pig farming. They used to, like, uh, cut hay with horses and stuff. They're really cool. They had, like, Suffolk punches and all this crap. And and then in 88, they got into dairy farming. And then, like, right after they got into dairy farming, right before they got into, like, holistic management, um, you know, like, intensive grazing and... Uh, like Savory Institute kind of stuff. It could be uh, Premier Pasa farmers, couldn't they, yeah. staff yeah. here in Pennsylvania? <laughs> Big head. And then they, uh, and then in, I guess, oh, this is the 20th anniversary. Then this year they started uh, Meadow, uh, 20, uh, 80, no, 98, they started Meadow, uh, Meadow Creek Dairy then, which was making cheese. And then, um, yeah, then their kids are involved in the business. So it's like nice to see this like succession, succession plan. And then now they now a couple of years ago they bought another farm down the road because of you know the growing business and all this stuff. So the original farm I really like the original farm because it's like this gnarly 
off the road farm with like these like hills that like roll in on themselves and there's like woods and like these like lush weird hilly pastures and there's a lake there for uh, irrigation and stuff that they built and it's a really cool old like Mar- marginal land farm yeah and then the new farm it's funny because then you're like oh the business has gotten better and now they have like what you look at and you'd be like oh this is a dairy farm it's like nicer like flatter land you could like look out there's not like you're walking through the woods to get to the next pasture and stuff like that like the first farm so. I do love the photos um, that they put up of the cows going up to pasture up through that kind of a nice path up almost looks to me like they're going up through the woods to get to another pasture. I've seen some really gorgeous photos. I haven't been there, but um, it's really, what has it been like being isolated um, so much down there in Virginia? It seems like you've managed it really well. I know you don't have cell phone service very well either. No, I switched. I went to Verizon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had AT&T and that didn't work. Um, But, you know, like when I lived in, you know, I lived in West West. That was pretty isolated. That's true. Uh, yeah. And that kind of in got Vermont. Me, that got me primed. And I like like you know I always whenever I had time off I always like going out to like uh, you know state parks, national parks, and my thing too is always going to like wow I don't think there's anybody around for like 50 miles. Like so now it's like now I'm doing it and I'm like whoa this is like really crazy. But I, it's not like that isolated. The town I live in is like I guess the county I live in has like 25,000 people. The 20, county next to us has 25,000 and. You know, it's isolated, but it's not. You know, we're on a major road and all that kind of stuff. But it is, um, it's totally different from where I'm from. Yeah. You know, like. The milk is really good, though, isn't it? Oh, the milk's great, yeah. <laughs> what the, what kind of cows are you milking? They have, uh, I don't I don't really milk, but they have, um, so it's a Jersey base, and it's the original cows from when they started their farm 30 years ago, like the original genetics, and then. Because, like, Jersey milk's not really always the best for the styles of cheeses we're trying to make. They mixed in, like, all sorts of stuff. Like, and every, like, you got to see the, <laughs> that was a weird call. You got to. <laughs> that wasn't Apologize us. for the background noise here. We're in a cafeteria <laughs> doing the best we can. <laughs> and, uh, um, so now you see the cows. They're, like, just this, like, gnarly bunch of cows. So it's, uh, it's like, Mount Billiard, which they use more and more now. And then. Uh, at times they mixed in Tarantays, they mixed in Frisian, they mixed in Kiwi Cross, they mixed in Dutch Bells, they mixed in Normands over the years. But now it's just primarily Jerseys. And then they, for new cows who freshen the first few years, they mix in primarily Jerseys, so it's an easier birth. And then as they get bigger, um, they'll mix in Mount Billiards, which are like a bigger cow. And then the whole mixing of the cows is basically to like bring down shrink the flat globule size, bring up the protein, and lower the fat in a way. But, I mean, the fat's still, like... Kind of standardize that ratio. Yeah, and and part of the thing is doing that, too, is that our milk's really not standardized at all in terms of running a herd all year. Like, granted, yeah, a herd that runs all year, there's going to be seasonal fluctuations, but we're seasonal, so that means we only milk April to December all 150 cows. Yeah. And then they're all dry. They all they all freshen within, I guess, like four to six weeks of each other, and then they all dry off the same week. Right. And so. then they and it's a little bit of downtime and focus on repairs and offinage oh, yeah, yeah. and sales and and just hanging out a little bit. Right. That's for, nice for those listeners who um, 
aren't cheesemakers, um, we're talking a little bit about the, the fat and protein ratios. It's been a big topic of conversation at the conference today, too, in speaking about washed curd and alpine-style cheeses. But basically, certain cheeses prefer to have a little more fat. Some cheeses prefer to have a little more protein. Some cheeses work best when that ratio is um, closer to equal. And so what Vito's talking about is kind of bringing that ratio down to a balance to make the right cheeses that you want to be making. Which are what? What yeah, are the let's cheeses? Let's talk about the cheeses. Yeah, what are the cheeses that you're making? Um, we make uh, Grayson, which a lot of people know it's like a wash rind cheese. And a lot of people say it's like, oh, it's like a Telegio because it's square and wash. But then... It's like a lot, little more acidic and less uh, less acidic. Oh wait, what, it's more acidic than Taleggio. Sorry, and uh, so I think it's kind of closer to like a Duris or like a Goubine sort of thing. Like more like those British Isle ones. And then it's an um, award-winning cheese. Multiple years, it's won awards at ACF. Yeah, I'd say it's probably our like most popular cheese. But then our best-selling cheese is Appalachian which is basically like an original recipe that's always kind of changing around. And it's just like an Italian Toma. It's kind of made like kind of like an Alpine, a lot of the same cultures and stuff. But um, it's not pressed as much. It's a little higher moisture uh, early on. And then um, it, we grow a natural rind on it that we promote, and we just kind of flip it. So the affinage is pretty simple. And I, then do, I do love the rind on that cheese and just like bringing up an image of it in my mind. We don't get it all that often in Philadelphia area. We'd love to, I'd love to see it more, um, that Appalachian. But I think it's a really lovely cheese and speaks to the region in which it's made. Yeah. yeah. That's cool, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about the region in which it it's is made. It is pretty cool, yeah. Mm -hmm. How how do you? Um, oh, there's one more cheese. Sorry, oh, yes. The other one's Mountaineer. It's like a uh, Alpine uh, style, like a Gruyere Comte, Appenzellerish sort of thing, and it's made that it's made like kind of to the style and all that kind of stuff. But then we like wash it, and I think it it drifts into like kind of our own cheese as we age it, which is pretty cool. So I'm just thinking, what a what. What are some of the things that you have to manage with these three styles of cheeses? Or are they pretty well behaved in the vat? Or do you have any, you know, Chal challenges, challenges with either well, of them that stand out more than one, one or the other? Well, right. yeah, like, that's always like a juggling act. Um, so one of the things we'll do, just because, like, milk components, like, by the time we get to the fall, our fat is, like, up well over six and it's That's crazy something. yeah it's really crazy so you know and that kind of starts i guess maybe october i forget now but it's like so we kind of stop maybe not october maybe like mid-october november and then so we actually stop making mountaineer before the fat is just like too out of control because you know too that's like kind of what they would do in the alps they would just make another cheese when the fat got like completely out of control and then so you know like it's always a juggling act. We're always trying new things to kind of balance out the different milk because we're always, you know, when you start, the milk is uh, it's decent volume. Uh, protein's good, but there's not much fat. You know, fat, there's flavor. So right. the cheeses in the spring don't always, like, kind of show themselves really well. But by the time you get to midsummer, everything's doing really good. But you're always kind of – and then in midsummer, your components are getting better. But then towards the end, the fat's going up. And then – you know, your protein's like behind it, but delayed. And then this is a conversations at the heart of seasonality <laughs> and, and then, what we're what we're managing, you know. And then, too, it's like the pastures on top of that. So it's like 
you know, it's like, oh, today they're in like the best pastures on the farm, but then it's like, it just rained for four days, so the cows are pissed off. Yeah. And then, you know, because they're outside all day, you know, 365, so they're, you know, the weather, they get annoyed with the weather just like us. So it's like this constant, and then you're, throughout the whole season, you're kind of creeping to this really end of the season hard milk where you're like fats really like through the roof, your protein's high, our protein's probably like, I think it ended this past season at like four or four two. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, and that's not like, those, both those numbers aren't great for like kind of making any cheese in a way because it's just like the fat's high. So it's just like this endless, but you're always teetering every day towards this like high amount. So it's just trying to find these like little things. And then once you like figure it out, it's another week and you're like, oh crap, we got to change this now. And then cha- <laughs> you're so doing it's like, such a good job of explaining like, this. There's like no, yeah. it's just, it's like crazy. There's no consistency at all. The only consistency you have is like, and then too, like one day, You'll, we'll get like 1,100 liters of milk, and then because it rained for four days and the cows are pissed off because they were like, you know, st- stuck out with no trees around, and then they shoot out like 800 liters. And you're like, what? We just took like a 30% hit in milk, and then you're like, oh, so then because of that, then your components that day go up because then there's less milk, and it's like there's really no... It's the love-hate relationship, though, isn't it? Because it's like you're never bored. No. it's You're always faced with a challenge every day. It's like, uh, yeah, it's organized mental chaos, you know. I love it, Vito, when you get all animated about the seasonality (laughs) and the milk. It's like off the charts. The excitement level here, I can hardly stand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So back to the the end of the season, now you're kind of battling um, these components. who, who is that cheese going to get marketed to, you know, the, the late lactation, end of the season cheese? I mean, are you sourcing that? Is it so different that you have special customers that are really going to go for that cheese? Or during the process, are you just managing the conditions in the vat to minimize big swings um, in the style? Um, well, also, too, at the end of the season, we're trying to, like, stockpile cheese, too. So we're trying to – because we're seasonal, so we lose two months – Oh, no, we lose like four months, you know, so, you know, we're trying to make like a lot of grace and, and with that milk, it's really hard to make grace and, and basically it's really, in, um, it's really hard to make Mountaineer too. So I don't know. It's just, this is real life. <laughs> yeah. It's just you know, really, you, you make do with what you have, you manage the conditions and yeah. you create this product that is like beloved by people all over. So I don't think it's, I think you guys are doing a pretty good job managing that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about your experience um, at Meadow Creek and how, and the experience that you have put into that internship at Parish Hill Creamery with Peter Dixon and Rachel Shaw. Um, What were some of the things that really influenced you um, during your time there? I know that during that time, the other apprentice was Sam Frank. The two of you have become amazing friends and have had a lot of travels around the world. Um, and I'm almost ready to inter- interrupt myself, but G- Vito has a way of finding the <laughs> hidden gems everywhere. Like when we were in Des Moines, remember we all went out? Oh, yeah, we got it. You're uh, like, I knew there's a place over here. Let's go. The Vietnamese, uh, the faux place. Yeah, that yeah, was I good. would never have found that. But, you know, so can you tell us a little bit about the influences from Parish Hill and how that's informed you now? Yeah, well, so, yeah, I'm like Sam's one of my best friends in cheese and in life. He's a big influence on me. Uh, and then there was somebody else that worked there really cool, too, was Emily Aldrich. 
And then she was like on the fence about like she liked cheese. Well, she went to school for science and like chemistry or whatever, microbiology, something like that. And then she was Peter's neighbor. And then she, he's like, oh, why don't you come work for us? She's like, OK. So then she worked there and then she moved to like San Diego and she was just like a pre, I forget what she was working, like special needs kids. And then she like moved up to Oregon and now she works for Rogue Creamery. I've heard David Gremmels just adores her yeah, up she, there. And she's so cool. She's really cool. So the people that were there were awesome. And then uh, in terms of like influences there, I think what was the biggest influence on me was that was the year they started their uh, culture, their their native culture. And that was that was like really cool. It's like that was a big influence. And the other thing that was like a big influence just because I'm like, whoa, this is crazy, was making provolone by hand. I'm like beginning of the season. I'm like, oh, man, this is like so cool. Like we're probably the only people in America doing this. And like, you know, it's like a long day because it's basically like you just made like a cheddar and then you're going to mill it and then put it in hot, like 190 degree water and then take it out. It's July in Vermont. It's hot. And then you're stretching this. The curd's probably like 130 degrees. My hands were like blistered and hot and it was terrible. And then, so at the beginning of the year, I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, we're the only people in America doing this right now. And then, like, it's now August. I'm like, this is the dumbest shit. I, <laughs> I can't understand why anybody, how did we do this for this long? Like, as a human, like, how did we tolerate this crap? And then your hands, like, and then you're just standing there sweating all day. And you still didn't even, like, clean up yet. It's like a 10, 12-hour day. And then by the end of the year, I, like, learned to love it. But then, like, the native culture thing was really cool because that was just, like, uh, that was just so, like, old world but, like, intuitive, like, you know, because Peter did that back when he couldn't buy cultures back, you know, 30-something years ago. The, so. Do you remember that? I was <laughs> I was up at Parish Hill, and we were stretching provolones and cavallo, and I just, my hands just did not know what to do. And Vito is great. He's so gracious. You'd always, like, get something started for me. Yeah. And then just, like, hand it off. Here you go, Sue. And then I was like, yeah, success. I just need <laughs> Vito by my side. And then that, that was, like, a joke, too, then, because I, I, like, for whatever reason, I kind of got, like, a knack for it, and then... We, and Personality. By, the t- by the time everybody would do, I don't know, I'm not like bragging, but by the time <laughs> I would do like two when people would have like one done and they're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, and then they're like, well, you're, you know, my name's Vito. And they're like, your name's Vito. You're Italian. Oh, it's like in your blood. This is your DNA to just stretch provolone. <laughs> you're like, what? What a, what a, yeah, if that was my life forever, what a mental, yeah, that, the, the, the cross I bared for life would be stretching this. <laughs> That laborious hot cheese for the rest of my in life. In that, that traditional cheese making that's so near and dear to Peter Dixon's heart. Here yeah. it is I mean, in it's, reality. It's incredible. I mean, it's yeah. like the apocalypse cheese. That cheese can make it through anything. And it's just like you eat it young. It's like buttery and sweet and like creamy and supple. And then you just age it and it turns into like a Parmesan. Like it's... It's just a wild, awesome cheese, you know? It's pretty cool. It's so cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, I think it's really amazing, um, your thought process around... I wonder, do you ever stop thinking? Because I've taken a lot of classes with Vito, and he's asking questions that I haven't even begun to think about asking. And so I always want to sit next to him in class and kind of absorb your uh, knowledge. Um, But I really think it's amazing that you're a practitioner and you're learning side by side that with people who are really accomplished at this. What do you think's next for you? 
Oh, I have, I have absolutely no idea. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just happy I started vacation. You know, I get like a month off because we're seasonal. I was just starting my vacation this week, and I'm going to a. I came to this conference with you guys, and then I'm going to Spain and Portugal next week uh, for a little bit. So you're gonna geek out on a little sheep's milk cheese? Yes. Yeah. That's like. Yeah, I was like early on when I started making cheese. I heard about like Torta del Casar, and there was like this like Spanish importer in Jersey. They used to sell these wheels of this cheese like super cheap back in the day. And at first time I ate it, I like read about it. Like, oh, they make it with thistle flowers and like all this crap. And then I would buy like a bunch of wheels of it, and I'd put it in my cave at home to see what would like happen to them. And then they would come in like kind of hard, and then they'd soften, and then they'd like kind of get hard again. And, uh, but yeah, that's like a big thing, you know, so I'm going to try and see some cheese stuff there and just hang out. I just look at culture, you know? Right. So. Yeah. And before you know it, it'll be spring. Yeah, I know. It'll it's be time cr- creeping. Yeah. Uh, Vito, you, you seem like someone who got bit by the food bug. Did that happen at an early age? How did all this come about? Yeah. You know, what are your food memories growing up? Yeah. I don't know. I, I remember like cooking scrambled eggs with my mom when I was like when I was like a little kid standing on like a kitchen chair like scrambling eggs with her uh so I don't know that's like probably my (laughs) earliest yeah there is something really comforting about that though isn't there you know those things of your childhood and how it shapes you as an adult and clearly that influence gives you a warm feeling right I mean I love I love it yeah. Did you guys have a good time at the conference? We did. We did. We're strategizing some like new projects, I bet, right oh, now. Yeah? yeah. Yeah, this was really good. Right. Uh, I like this conference. Steph and I are always really interested in collaborative opportunities. And maybe, you know, on one of these swings north, you can stop and make a cheese with the two of us. That'd be fun. With yeah. a little veto twist. That no. would be fun. <laughs> I promise it won't be a provolone style. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Vito, thank you so much for, Thanks, guys. for this interview and stepping away from the lectures today. Um, yeah. We look forward to seeing and hearing about all the great things you're doing at Meadow Creek and um, hope to make cheese with you very soon. Yeah, guys. Thank yeah. you. That was nice. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.